This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. It's a Blood Red podcast courtesy of the Liverpool Echo here on the Blood Red channel with Sadio the Mane against Chelsea and Fabinho Fab alongside Van Dijk at the bridge. Could things get hotter still for the Reds in the transfer market or does the deal for Diogo mean it's more of a no-go for Kloppo? I'm Guy Clark. Welcome along as we look back on a remarkable weekend. Signings galore, goals galore. It's a happy time for Reds. Alongside me, three men with beaming smiles this Monday afternoon, covering transfer sagas, whirlwind dealings and a trip to Chelsea and back, but still with enough in the tank to pod. It's our Liverpool correspondent, Paul Gorst. Gorsty, how are we? Yeah, I'm, I'm not bad, guy. Not bad, thanks. Uh, busy weekend, wasn't it, with everything that's been going on. Um, I think I got back from Chelsea last night about half one. And uh, the boss man, Sean Bradbury, said they had to clock on a ten instead of nine. So I had an extra hour's kip and fully refreshed and uh, ready to go again. Yeah, man who knows all about how busy last week was is the man who is also on the other side of that. Had a week off unwinding and watching on as everything played out, but wasn't going to miss out on dissecting a dismantling of Chelsea. Joe Rimmer, Joe, nice to have you back on the pod. Thanks very much, yeah. Good week off. Chose a nice week to um, to sit back and relax Why these boys kept busy, but I enjoyed myself down in Bath uh, in James Pierce country. Yeah, saw good. all the big sites there, the Roman baths, the statue of James, everything. Yeah, it's <laughs> great. And and, we, and finally, with reasoning and versatility, whether he's sitting in the big chair taking in what those around are saying or coming in with his own assured views, it's our very own answer to Fabinho, Sean Bradbury. Sean, how are we? Very well, thanks, mate. Enjoyed your introduction. I could listen to that again and again. Uh, yeah, I think you do actually have a uh, just a compilation of them that you play on repeat, don't you? <laughs> the soundtrack of my house yeah. during lockdown, yeah. Yeah, well, we best get into the performance against Chelsea. We'll talk about Liverpool's dealings in the transfer window to come. But, Gorsley, you were down at Stamford Bridge. And, well, it was a great performance to round off the week for the Reds. Yeah, perfect, wasn't it? I, mean, I think, yeah, Klopp said it wasn't being... If, if Jordan Henderson isn't injured, obviously come off a half time with a bit of a thigh problem. But if it's not a serious one, then it's been the perfect day. And I think it pretty much capped off a perfect week, didn't it, for Liverpool, with the signing of Diogo Jota and, and the big one, Thiago Alcantara. The one that they all wanted. Um, went to Chelsea, put in a really good performance. Um, probably ex- I expected a little bit more of Chelsea, if I'm honest, but uh, the Bill took full advantage of that man uh, excellently out for the second half and uh, come out of what's probably one of the, going to be maybe, let's say, the probably the second toughest away venue this season with maximum points. So, um, as Klopp said, it was perfect. Yeah, Joe, last time we all had eyes on Stamford Bridge, it was when Liverpool, of course, came Premier League champions and it really was a, a performance of champions down at the bridge. It was, yeah. You know, for me, you know, you know, with Chelsea's recent history, it, it still is a lot to get your head around to watch a Chelsea team play that defensively um, against Liverpool, especially at the bridge. And, you know, I think it spoke volumes about, you know, what Chelsea think of Liverpool that they set up that defensively and the signing spree that they've been on this summer you know I thought after watching Liverpool against Leeds and some of the, the vulnerabilities that Liverpool showed against Leeds Chelsea would come out and have a go and, and they went so defensively I mean it was the sort of thing you expect from teams in the bottom half of the table you know to set up you know, 10 men behind the ball digging in and, and just looking for out balls every now and again but it was um it was bizarre to see and Liverpool just absolutely bossed it. And um, as soon as you know that Jordan Henderson played that brilliant pass over the top to Mane and and, it, and the sending off happened. I mean, first of all, I couldn't believe it was a yellow card to begin with. I, I, 
I thought it was the most clear red card you'll ever see. But luckily, um, thank God for VAR and, and for um, common sense coming through there. And, and he got the red card. And, and then after that, you know, Liverpool just turned the screw. And it was so professional. Um, it was really, really... We, we've seen the two sides to Liverpool, haven't we, in these last couple of weeks? You know, a chaotic game the week before and, and Liverpool will always score more than you. And then a more controlled game yesterday. And um, it was great to see. Sadio Mane was brilliant. And, you know, there were great performances right across. Fabinho, awesome at centre-half. And I thought Jordan Anderson had a great first half and, and Thiago had a great second half. So between them, they both showed what they could do. And, and yeah, Mane... You know, Salah had a quiet game this week, brilliant last week, and Mane had a quiet game last week and was brilliant this week. So, yeah, just um, just brilliant performance. But I'm still, still reading about Chelsea's defensive attitude, but I think that just says everything about Liverpool right now. You know, you don't... I'm pretty sure Guy, I'm pretty sure Arsenal will set up next week and, and be quite similar. You know, teams just don't go at Liverpool. Um, so Leeds were, Leeds were the exceptions to that rule at the moment. Yeah, they definitely were in that case. And I suppose looking at the game, Sean, everybody sort of quick to say outside of, I suppose, the Liverpool bubble. Well, Liverpool were against 10 men. Kepper gave the ball away. It was a, a silly mistake. But I suppose the key point is Liverpool forced those errors from Chelsea, whether it be the red card or the error from Kepper. Absolutely, yeah. I think it was on the face of it, the turning point in the game. But I think Liverpool had enough of a foothold in the first half to expect them to come out in the second half and you know at least get one maybe get two and I did think at half time that they'd win the game and even before the sending off but I, just to pick up on what Joe says I, I totally agree on on Chelsea and I did find it strange because even last season under Lampard there was there was an intensity to them uh, they, they had a go at Liverpool they attacked Liverpool and all right whilst the FA Cup went their way and most of the other games didn't it, it, it was strange to see what happened and I suppose it kind of proves that maybe he's a little bit of a product of his environment because it before and during and after the, the game, I got kind of distinct Mourinho vibes from him. Like the way they set up, as Joe said, the amount of players behind the ball, the way they were dropping off Liverpool, you know, maybe it's understandable to a certain extent given the new signings are still settling in and he's figuring out where Havertz and Werner both fit in and how you accommodate the two of them. Um, but yeah, it was, it was, it was bizarre. It was, it was strange. And I think you, you're not going to get a result against Liverpool at home unless you have a go at them. It just, you know, that pretty much stands for, for, for any side. And then after the match as well, I thought he was, he didn't quite throw Kepper under the bus to the extent that Jose would have done. I think it would have been a bit more brutal if if Mourinho was, was speaking after that match. But then he tried to deflect it all onto him and, you know, kind of focused on his mistake a little bit. It was an error, of course, but I did think that was a little bit from the Mourinho school of, of going about your business from Lampard. But yeah, just, just in general. Absolutely delighted with with that. Think it was think it was a huge victory in the context of the season and at the time of the season. These these first two games, Leeds and Chelsea, may have been imbued really with with much more significance than virtually anything since lockdown. I, mean, I think we all knew Liverpool were going to cancel to the title. Weren't they? It was just a matter of when it got wrapped up. But the fact that they've come back this season, got off to a good start, albeit a little bit shaky against Leeds, with pretty much all their shots on target going in. This. This was great. You know, a clean sheet had been kept under a little bit of adversity, obviously, with, with issues that we'll come on to in terms of injuries at the back. But, um, yeah, just absolutely delighted with it. And there's, there's so much to take for the game. Just jump in there from, from John's point. I absolutely loved Frank Lampard's post-match interview where he, where he basically said, if Liverpool hadn't scored the second goal and we'd have scored our penalty or taken more chances, it could have been 1-1 or even 2-1 to us. 
but oh, nice one, Frank. So basically, if you, if they didn't score and we had, we'd have won the game. It was just the equivalent of saying my auntie's got <laughs> my uncle, isn't it? You know, it was just it was, it was absolute madness. I couldn't believe he said that after after setting up so defensively, and and then watching that, it, you know, he, he was saying, oh, you know, I was pleased with it. You know, they they barely created any opportunities. Um, it, yeah, I mean, I thought I thought he did go a little bit Mourinho and start. You know the, the Kepa thing. He, he was obviously fuming with him, and um, I quite like Lampard, but I think he's been very, very spiky as of late. You know, I think he's well aware of the money he's spent, and um, you know, and, and the pressure that he's under. And you know, I always find I find preseason quite bizarre because signings, obviously, we we all know change everything, don't they? And I've seen so many people getting so overexcited about the signings being made elsewhere, and you know. You see the predicted tables. I've seen a few people put Man United top. Just what is this madness? And Chelsea because they've spent money on players who, you know, I'm sure I'm sure they're all very good players. But people saying, oh, you know, Chelsea could have a real go and, and perhaps overtake Liverpool. Well, you know, why would you why would you place your faith in like a Kai Havertz who I'm sure is a good player? But you know, Mohamed Salah has done it for, for four seasons now, three seasons now in the Premier League. Same for Sadio Mane. Same for Roberto Firmino. They've made signings, but there's a long, long way for them to go. And, you know, that's why I think Manchester City will be the main challenges because they've been there and done it before. But, you know, Chelsea, they've made a lot of signings, but we don't even know whether their manager is really up to scratch just yet. He's only had two proper seasons, hasn't he? So, you know, um, there's a lot of unknown with them. But, yeah, love Frank Lampard's, you know, if, if we hadn't if we had the conceded and we'd scored instead, we'd have won the game. Yep. Good on, Frank. Yeah, don't worry, Joe. We'll put the the centre in as well, so our listeners in Qatar can enjoy this this podcast. But is that well? I wasn't I wasn't sure on that one. I didn't. Think, yeah, you know, that's if that's a red flag. That one. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think that's borderline. Yeah, because you know, you know, the two or three big ones, don't the the Fs, the Ss, and certainly the Cs, but not. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't know about the B, so fair enough. Sorry put, about that. Put it this way, put it this way. If that was on the website, I'd be getting the asterisk out. Yeah, no, I suppose I would too. So yeah, sorry about that. Sorry for that. <laughs> Gorsty, Joe mentioned him there, Sadio Mane, and I just wondered if he's beginning to fall into that Mohamed Salah, Virgil van Dijk bracket of even when he comes up with a brace at Stamford Bridge and has such a great game that no one's really talking about it. You sort of just seem to expect it, I suppose, because he's a world-class talent. Yes, um, he's obviously one of Liverpool's main men, isn't he? But um, there's so many of them these days that Liverpool have just got an absolute team. Certainly, the the, the best team, the best Liverpool team I've ever seen, and, and I'm 33 in a couple of weeks. So, I think just fans need to just absolutely save it every minute that they can to watch this team in action. And and uh, as Joe mentions there, you know, it, it, it's almost like the what 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 you what's unknown is more kind of sexy than, than what is known in terms of like Chelsea are, are going to be better than Liverpool because they've they've signed this, that and the other and they've spent a bit of money. But as Joe says, Liverpool players have been there before and they've done it before. And I actually wrote to me match that there's, there's a lot to be said for the cohesion and, and the continuity of the squad. Um, and Mane is obviously one of, one of the big parts of that. Um, no surprise to see him starting again yesterday. I thought he was quite quiet against Leeds and, and he was quiet particularly first half. But uh, he sprung into life in the in the in injury time, he helped get uh, Andreas Christensen sent off and then uh, put Chelsea to the sword at, at two goals. So, um, you know, Liverpool is just absolutely littered with world-class talent and, and he's, you know, he's right up there, no question. Um, him and Salah, once again, are going to be the main men as far as getting the goals for Liverpool and 
um, to the rest of the world. It's the reason they finished fourth and fifth in last year's Ballon d'Or. Yeah, they are fantastic players. And Mane, I suppose, didn't take many of the headlines, Sean. They were reserved for Fabinho playing at centre-half and mentioned before already how defensive Chelsea were. The plan seemed to be isolate uh, Fabinho against Timo Werner and it certainly didn't play out that way for Chelsea. Fabinho was brilliant. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I was when I saw the lineup drop, I was just trying to work it out really and then obviously the, part of the answer was that, that Gomez and Matip didn't even make the squad so that's that's quite a significant thing but we, we talked on pods before about Fabinho in this position and I have to say I'm after that I'm slightly reassessing my, my view on it because I've always thought you don't want him at centre-back. You know, Klopp has spoken about him being the emergency option almost. I think that's pretty much the, the word he's used. But you don't want him there. You don't really want to see him there because he's such a good defensive midfielder. But I think that the signing of Thiago and perhaps the next route of development for this Liverpool team is attacking through central areas, find, finding ways to support full-backs and, and the wide forwards and having some more creative threat through the middle. And, well... First of all, I think, you know, he's because he is a midfielder, he can step out from the back. And he, he did that several times, just strode forward into midfield, changed the picture a little bit, found a really nice lofted pass or, you know, phase one forward to the, to the lads up front. And that side of his game was really impressive. But you have to hand it to him. And as you say, there was plenty of battles with Werner, be, the, be they for pace or, you know, having to show strength and out-muscle him. And he pretty much won every single one. You know, again, with with Werner still developing and finding his feet in the Premier League and in Chelsea's team. But, you know, Fabinho's only played at centre-back for Liverpool a handful of times. And I honestly think if if you'd, if you'd silhouetted all the players and, and you didn't know who was who and you'd never watched these teams play and you were told there's a 75 million centre-half out there, there's every chance you'd have gone, oh, it's that, that big ball fella there, not not the guy next to him. You know, he was he was that good. He was he was tackling. He was intercepting. Um, he, was, he was just doing it all. So I do genuinely think now um, it could have solved a bit of a transfer dilemma for the boss. I still think with, with Keanu Hoover leaving, there is a bit of a deficiency um, just because as well, and it's 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 not a slight on the players, but we do quite often see Matip and Gomez out, don't we, for, for short periods with, with certain injuries. Matip's got a, a muscle complaint at the moment that's going to keep him out for a few weeks into the season. Um, so, yeah, I, I'd, personally, I'd, I'd still go shopping for another centre-back, but... The the idea of seeing Fabinho there a bit more would not worry me as much as it would have done a few weeks ago. Yeah, we'll get into the, the transfer window in the second half of the pod. But Joe, looking at the performance of Fabinho, and as Sean said it there, are we now almost reassessing the view on him being that fourth option at centre-half? I think a lot of us thought against lower mid-table sides he'd be a good option to have in there. But he's done it now against the top six rival and a side who, as you said before, a lot of people are tipping to actually challenge Liverpool this season. Yeah, I think so. It's difficult, isn't it? Because I think, you know, we we must sort of, we always see Fabinho as a defensive midfielder because that's what we're used to. But as Sean said, you know, watching that and, and taking away what you know about the player, he played very, very well. So, you know, and I, and I think he's played there a handful of times. He played there against Bayern Munich, didn't he, in the, in the Champions League a couple of years back. Played very, very well then. And then did he play against Wolves in the in the FA Cup? And I, and I, I know they lost there. but. I, re- I seem to remember him playing quite well that night as well. So, you know, he has played there before and he's, he's played there well. So, you know, I suppose only time will tell. It's, it's quite difficult now to say, you know what, they don't need a centre-half. He's great because, you know, he might play there for six more games and uh, hindsight could make you look a bit silly. But, 
he played ever so well. You know, it, I think he took the things that he's good at in midfield and applied them to to the defence. And you know, he stepped up well, passed the ball well, and then he was very good on one in one on ones. So every time he seemed to be isolated, he seemed to wait and win the ball at the right time, and then he can head a ball. You know, I think he's he's very good in the air, so that that's given him an advantage as well. So. You know, I think Klopp will know, and I think Klopp knows all about him and will have tried it a lot in training. So, you know, this isn't just a case of, oh, we'll lash him there and see how he does. You know, it, it, it's Klopp with a, a plan. And he obviously has seen enough in Fabinho and potentially thought, well, if we get Thiago in, then I can move things around and, and play him there more often. Um, I suppose the flip side of it is, if they do get a long-term injury to, to the two centre-halves, Matic and Gomez, and you, you're dealing with Fabinho playing there for a long time, then you lose what he does bring to midfield. Um, and that t- might not potentially be good. But yeah, for now, they look all right, don't they? Um, yeah, I, I think I think for Klopp, I wonder whether he's looking at it and going, is there any point in bringing in a Clavan-type player, a, a cheaper sort of older centre-half, for a limited amount of time when, you know, I'm sure Gorsley's spoken about them before, but they've scouted people like that Ben White. And, you know, if you're going to spend the money in the longer term, perhaps someone like him is a longer term target. So, you know, Fabinho might be a very good option for the next six months to a year. And then they'll probably reassess that further down the line. But um, Liverpool seems to have decent options in the middle and in defence at the moment. So no complaints. Yeah, Gorsley, I suppose one of the biggest compliments and everyone was gushing about Fabinho after the game was him obviously playing, allowed Thiago to play in that number six role. But the fact that he looked really as though he'd been paired with Van Dijk for years and years rather than maybe the fifth or sixth time he's had a run out from the start at centre-back. Yeah, well, he's a, he's a very intelligent footballer, isn't he? You know, if he's playing as a defensive midfielder, you're raving about him as, as one of the best in the Premier League there. So, it's not going to be a he's not going to be a fish out of water if he's if he's asked to drop you know 10, 15 yards back with with Van Dijk. But uh, for me, I still think that Joel Matip is a is a big concern. I think he, he picks up far too many injuries. So even allowing for Fabinho's excellent performance, that might have eased a few concerns about him playing there on a regular basis. I still think Liverpool are probably a centre back light for, for this season, and I do think that that there is scope for someone to come in who's. Um, a little bit more experience, a little bit cheaper, and, and someone who, who can, you know, play there for, for ten or fifteen games this season, and uh, then you can kind of assess it next season if, if the financial constraints are kind of lifted, and you do have a little bit of a more expansive budget. Someone like, as Joe said, Ben White, who, who did the scouts quite a lot last season. Yeah, certainly. Come back to you, Gorsty, on Thiago. We'll go around and give our thoughts on him. I think the statistic going around was that he completed more passes than any player who's played a maximum of 45 minutes has since Opta have been recording Premier League statistics. I think they're into their 17th season now of doing it. Gorsty, just how impressed were you with Thiago? Uh, to an extent. It, it, it looked, it, he's a top player, isn't he? We all know that. I mean, I think... You know, we're not making any judgments of 45 minutes against 10 men. He's, he's a world-class midfielder who's proven it at Barcelona and by Munich. So I am excited to find out what he's going to be like uh, over the long-term course of his Liverpool contract. But I think playing against 10 men suited him to Nick for 45 minutes and allowed him to kind of dictate the play. And um, uh, it, it was fascinating to watch him. So I'm, I'm so excited to watch him over the coming seasons. And uh, he is an elite-level midfielder and, um, you know, I don't think any kind of judgments can be made from from yesterday either way, but from what we've seen of him across the course of his career, he's going to be some some addition at Liverpool. 
Yeah, and Sean Everon was sort of raving all summer about him arriving at Liverpool. He did. He put in a classy display in the midfield, but he did give away a penalty, perhaps the only blot on his copybook. Yeah, um, I thought he was a little bit unlucky there. I think I think it was a pen, but it wasn't a, a kind of malicious foul. He kind of caught Werner with his knee, didn't he? And didn't really mean to foul him, if that makes sense. But um, yeah, I think, I think well, Doyle in this player ratings, despite that, and despite him only playing 45 minutes, still gave him eight out of 10. And I'd, I'd very much be in the same ballpark. I was, I was hugely impressed. I, I love a debut where a player comes on and just shows you exactly what they're all about. Probably my favourite debut ever is Dirk, Dirk Kout. When he came on, I think it was against West Ham and just ran around like a madman and had a shot from wherever he was on the pitch, basically. And I just thought, oh, that'll do. And, you know, he was, it showed what he was going to do for Liverpool for the next few seasons in terms of his work ethic and that type of thing. And yeah, I think it was quite telling with what Klopp said before the game. You know, we, we knew that on Friday, obviously, that Thiago was signed in time and he was eligible to play. We obviously did the story saying, you know, could make a surprise debut, but then there he was on the bench. But before the game, Klopp was saying, oh, there's no chance that, that he would have played, you know, and he was surprised to see any suggestions that that would be the case. But then the circumstances of the game, obviously, with the red card changed. And afterwards I was thinking, oh, well, that, that was that was perfect really, wasn't it, for Thiago? Because he could come on and it was almost like a bit of a training session and you could get him some minutes that perhaps would have been unexpected. Well, they obviously were unexpected judged by Fox comments. But then having, having thought about it, watched it more and read about it more, it, it wasn't a training match really until Liverpool were tuned up and cruising, was it? And I think even in those first five or ten minutes when the goals went in, watching it back and seeing all the passes he completed, how he started dictating the pace and tempo of the game, having never played or, or even really trained for Liverpool before. It was it was just so impressive. I think in, in Gorsby's verdict, he mentioned that the, they were Xabi Alonso and how Thiago could potentially be the, the heir apparent to his passing throne. And it was that, for me, it was that type of metronomic performance where he's picking any type of pass. He's, he's doing quick ones. And I was like, obviously, for the first goal, he was just on the edge of the final third, passing it around quickly for what was a really nice, well-worked goal. But then he was he was lofting some out to the wings with with penetration and purpose. He was it, that thing he did in the Champions League final, where he was, you know he's cutting out players with passes. We saw a few of them where he just quickly turned and put a vertical ball up and cut out the midfield. The Chelsea basically been to be doing all this within minutes of making his debut. I thought it was so impressive. It did remind me of those first few games Alonso played. It was a who was it? West Brom or Norwich at home? I can't remember, but I remember being on the cop and just just pairing at what you were seeing in, in front of you. Um, and I think we'll say this a few times if Liverpool keep this up. But obviously, a shame that fans weren't there to see him. But everyone watching on telly, I think they've seen the seeds of a player who could be hugely significant for the Reds this season and beyond. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Second half of the pod, we're going to talk transfers and we best get straight into one that at the time of recording seems to be somewhat of a developing and breaking story, Gorsty, and that's Liverpool's Rian Brewster. Crystal Palace have today been supposedly putting in a formal £19 million plus £6 million in add-ons bid from Crystal Palace. But whilst we're recording, I see that the Crystal Palace owner, Steve Parrish, has come out and said that it's a total fabrication. Yeah, all very, very strange. Um, we Just before we, we come on this pod, I spoke to someone at the club who um, was actually checking it out. So we were in the process of checking that out and then uh, was told that, you know, that was the case, um, that a bid had been made. So Steve Palace has obviously come out now and, and called it a total fabrication from, I think, the Sky Sports who initially um, published the story. So it's a very interesting uh, very interesting one. But Liverpool are open to, to offers for Ian Brewster. 
Uh, I think we wrote that um, at some point this month. Um, Liverpool have been inundated with with, with um, contact from I think it's ten clubs, a minimum of ten clubs, the three relegated teams from last season and seven in the Premier League. And before the uh, before the Community Shield last month, it was Sheffield United who looked to be in the driving seat and they were pushing more than anyone else. But uh, now it looks as though it's possibly Crystal Palace. Uh, there was a talk of a thirty-seven million buyback in in an offer of twenty-five million with nineteen with five add-ons or six add-ons. Sorry, so. Um, that, that was that was our understanding. So now uh, Steve Parrish has obviously come out and, and he's saying that uh, what Sky reported just before we come on air is not true. So um, interesting situation developing. And, and as you say, very much breaking that as we're recording and we're talking. And... I think we lost Gorsley there for a moment. Hopefully he will return with us. Joe, it's one of those where straight off the sort of top of the, the head and, and looking at it for... Any club who may be interested in Rian Brewster, chance to pay £19 million and make an £18 million profit if those add-ons obviously aren't met. It sort of seems to be a bit of an easy win for a club to develop Rian Brewster on Liverpool's behalf and then Liverpool buy him back for pretty much double the money. Yeah, I suppose that's why it might be a difficult one to sort of everyone to agree on because, you know, let, let's say if that, if that bid was, was around the, the price that Liverpool wanted, well, 25 million Liverpool getting back for, for 10 million pounds more than than what they they receive for him. It's not a lot in terms of English players in today's market. You know, if, if Brewster goes on and scores 15, 20 goals, well, um, you know, his price tag would be 50 million minimum, wouldn't it? You know, if you look at other players like Jaden Sanchez, or we're talking about 100 odd million pound player. So, been interesting one. Brewster um, wasn't even included in the squad yesterday, and I think that that tells you why Liverpool are open to offers for him and I think they're clever enough to know that they could sell him get the money in now and, and put a buyback clause in there and you know that that's pretty much as good as a loan isn't it really in, in terms of if they, they really want him back and he'd have to be very very good to come back to Liverpool because Liverpool have got such good options you know you don't get, get back to Liverpool do you if you're a sort of top 10 player you have to be very very elite so um, you know, I think it'd be a good chance for him to move on, and it seems like there's a lot of clubs interested. But I think those finer details of a deal will make it quite difficult, and that's why there's probably a lot of interest. But Liverpool haven't had something that, that is deemed acceptable yet, so um, it'd be interesting to see what happens next. It all seems very confusing. I don't know whether there's a bit of brinkmanship being played on um, Palace's behalf or elsewhere, but um, I suppose we'll see what happens. But I think Brewster will be departing Liverpool for the time anyway. Yeah, the buyback seems to be quite a crucial element of this, Sean. I think a, a lot of Chelsea fans seeing Tarek Lamptey for Brighton and thinking, why wasn't there a buyback clause in that? But I suppose Liverpool probably don't want to have a maybe a similar situation to what's happened with Danny Ings. Of course, he went on that loan with the obligation to buy for £20 million. No buyback clause in, in that deal. But Rian Brewster, obviously a younger player. Liverpool seem to be keen on that, and, and rightly so. Yeah, absolutely. I have to say I'm a bit, I'd be a bit gutted if he leaves because I, I really, really like him. I think... Last season on loan in the championship, he showed what he was all about, scored the goals that we all knew he could score at a high level and proved he's ready for a go in the Premier League. But yeah, well, he's not the player Liverpool need right now. I think that's that's a fact. I think there's so much to like about him, though. You know, his, his, his mental strength, recovering from those injuries that could have really hampered him in his late teens. He's he's clearly a striker who deserves the crack at the highest level. And hopefully, you know, that we've, we've heard of interest from several Premier League clubs and we'll follow this story now. Um, with, with Palace's interest, but hopefully it will 
ultimately presented with an opportunity to have a go uh, in the top flight. But yeah, I think you look at Liverpool's situation now, I think even Diogo uh, Jota has, has changed things a little bit because I think we'll see this season lots of different mixtures of forward lines. I think Liverpool have now got different options on the left, different options on the right. You can play, obviously, Firmino is, is the main man up front, but Minamino's had a go there, hasn't he? And we'd like to see a bit more of that. Salah and Mane can play centrally and all of these guys are ahead of Brewster in the pecking order. There's just no doubt about that. But I do think like the way Liverpool are looking to develop, like we were saying before about Thiago, and as they exert more and more control over games, you could maybe eventually be looking to try a player who's who's more of an out-and-out goal scorer. But that that time is obviously way much, much further down the line and, and quite speculative if Liverpool do even kind of go that way in their development. But yeah, I suppose ultimately I, I draw a bit of a parallel with with Hoover. It, it's quite a similar thing, you know. They're what are the eighteen and twenty? I think the pair of them clearly good young players. As the thirteen million that Liverpool are going to get for Hoover and the figures being touted for Brewster show, but it's it's so hard, isn't it? That Liverpool are playing at the absolute highest level. There isn't really much margin for error, and therefore there isn't much margin for blood in youngsters in the Premier League when you've got to hit these really high standards to keep ahead of Man City, as we've seen over the last couple of seasons. It's a titanic battle and a youngster coming in for five or six games to see what they're like. If, if it doesn't work, then that could be a season scuppered potentially in the league. So, um, yeah, it's it feels like the right move. And ultimately, I suppose you have to say as well, if, if the figures tell to the right and it comes to a fee in the region of 25 million, well, you know, it, it's, not, it's not exactly like this, but you, you're essentially looking at Thiago in, Brewster out, uh, a proven winner who's clearly going to enhance the squad in and a player with vast potential, but it's still potential going out the other way. And as you say, if this buyback clause is in place, then it does feel like the, the best of both worlds for Liverpool. Yeah, interesting stuff. We'll keep an eye on that. Do keep across the Liverpool echo as ever for the latest developments on Rian Brewster, maybe or maybe not going to Crystal Palace. Let's move on to then to the, the deals that Liverpool have done. We've seen Thiago Alcantara. We've uh, said our piece on him, but Diogo Jota arriving over the course of the weekend as well. Gorsty got this one late on uh, Friday after we'd been doing the podcast. It seemed to be something that was happening whilst we were recording that podcast, but this one seems to sort of have the, the Michael Edwards Jurgen Klopp trademark all over it. Very much so, yeah. Um, it was actually, I think it might have even been during the, during the podcast, wasn't it, that um, the, the Jota news started to come thick and fast and, and then we had the obviously the, the big news on, on the Friday night and then the Liverpool confirmed it on, on Saturday. Um, very good player actually. I mean I, I tend to watch watch Wolves quite a lot. I think um I, I kind of like the way they set up and, and the way they attack and, I, and I'm a big fan of Nuno so I find myself watching them a lot and I've always been impressed with Jota actually. Um, I like that the, the that front three as a whole actually Adam Traore and <coughs> Raul Jimenez um and obviously Keanu Hoover's gone the other way, so it's um it's a deal that seems to suit both parties. Twenty three, he can play across a number of positions, and I think he's he's an ideal player in terms of someone who can play in, in a number of positions and come in whenever one of those front three are out and the drop off in quality isn't too stark because you know that's been Liverpool's problem, hasn't it, for for a good number of years now. When whenever Salah Mane or Firmino are out, then you know the players coming in. Um, not kind of anywhere near the same standard. So he's someone who will address that. Klopp's a massive fan of his work rate and his ability to play uh, across that front three. And Liverpool have tracked him uh, for a number of years. I think um, one thing that was kind of um, hammered home to me was how influential Pep Linders was in this deal because 
he's uh, he spoke to his contact supporter where, where Jota came through early on in his career and uh, got a number of glowing character references about him and Liverpool are quite keen on doing their homework recruitment-wise in terms of what's the actual player like as a person. You know, it's, it's no coincidence that pretty much every player they've signed for the past three or four years has been a success. It's because it's all about how much do you want to come here to succeed, how much hunger is is in them to, to reach the top. And it does seem that Jota ticks uh, quite a lot of boxes. I must admit, I think the price was a little bit higher than what I might have initially thought for for him, if you'd have asked me, you know, six weeks ago, two months ago. But I suppose with Keanu Hoover heading the, the other way, that's, um, that kind of tallies up to what most people or some people would have had in their head in terms of his value. But he's someone who's going to be um, an important player going forward. Yeah, we've used the the sort of phrase transformational signing for a number of players that Edwards and Klopp have brought in, Joe. But I do get the feeling that Diogo Jota can be a transform transformational signing for Liverpool, not if it's only for what he can go on and do in his own career, but also the role that he could allow the likes of Sadio Mane or Mohamed Salah to play in the formation, maybe going through the middle, as Gorsty says, without much of a, a drop-off for the player coming in. So, I mean, I think, you know, the... Of all the signings Liverpool are making this summer, they seem to be giving Liverpool so many different options in terms of, you know, we talked about Thiago and Fabinho, where they can, the positions that those players can now take up, you know, the, the different formations Liverpool can take. So, um, you know, Joss is an interesting one. And, and what I, you know, one of the, my initial things that I thought about it was that, you know, Liverpool often linked with Traore, weren't they? And, um, you know, he's often linked with some of the big clubs. And I, I thought, Jota was the one that always made more sense because of his versatility and the fact that he is someone that fits into Liverpool's mould. He worked very, very hard. He's, you know, can play in a lot of different positions. And and Traore was almost, it felt like a bit of a lazy link in the sense that he was just an out-and-out winger and whilst he's very exciting and looks good on highlight reels, I think Jota just gives you so much more, you know, apart from that. I, I must admit, I don't know that much about Jota. I've, you know, I've seen a bit of him for Wolves, but you know, just highlights and stuff like that. Um, he seems to be in and out of the team a little bit last season. And I know he was played a big part in the, the championship promotion um, and then in the first season back. But yeah, I didn't see a great deal of him last season. Um, but sort of tried to read up a lot about him over the weekend. And he seems like one of the ones that, you know, Wolves fans were very fond of. So it sounds an exciting one. But I can't wait to see what he's like for Liverpool. You know, I think we've talked before about Rigi and his time sort of just being on the way in a little bit and I think a new player with fresh enthusiasm and just get the fans excited and give the players something different so this is the one sign of the summer that I really thought they needed you know a different option um, to go alongside the front three and you know and he, he gives it doesn't he so yeah can't wait to see what he does really um, as I say as he mentioned the price sort of took me by surprise but I think that says a lot about what Liverpool think of him you know Liverpool wouldn't pay that sort of money if they didn't believe that he was um, he was going to be a really good addition. So, uh, you know, I'm quite excited about him. And one of the other things I noticed, you know, the analysing Anfield lads, Dave and Josh, that spoke about him earlier this summer, and I remember putting a piece up that he posted very, very similar numbers to Mane in his final season with Southampton. So, you know, it's the sort of player that we've seen Liverpool do it so many times before, take a player who's, you know, at a certain level, uh, playing well in the Premier League and, and transform them into... You know, a scary, scary player. So if they can do anything similar with Jota, then um, that's a very good prospect indeed. Yeah, Sean, off the three deals of the summer then, is this maybe the most exciting one for what could 
happen. Thiago's obviously got great pedigree, but what Jota could potentially come at Anfield? Yeah, I think that's that's a that's a fair argument. Obviously, he's young, isn't he? He's in his in his early twenties, and he is he is one for the future. It's a sign, and I suppose that does potentially look beyond the current front three, and you know maybe he'll be an incumbent of the of the next front three, the next iteration of Klopp's team. But I think they're all exciting. I think they're all connected as well in a certain way. I think you look at Klopp at Liverpool, and well, we're coming up to the five year anniversary, aren't we? Of him being here. But he arrived with that heavy metal football tag and clearly that was what everyone was used to and what we were expecting. It's what we saw in the first couple of seasons. But I think there's so many ways in which he's adapted his, his thoughts around the game and you know how you can win a football match, how to build the team in the best possible way. And, and now we're seeing a Liverpool team that does exert a lot more control. But one way in which he's had to adapt this summer is just having a bigger squad. Because he, he said a few times about how hectic the season's going to be, how congested it is with, with the, you know, the pandemic and what that's brought on football. So therefore, it does seem like a manager who's always like the smaller squad for, for a lot of reasons, you know, for harmony and just being able to give players minutes and, and be honest with them about how much they'll play. He's maybe compromised a little bit. He's, he's happy to see a few extra players in the squad. But I also think it brings the kind of secondary bonus of if there's any way of eking out a bit of improvement of this Liverpool team, like like we've said on this pod and countless ones, they're, they're an elite side. They're, they're winners, aren't they? They've won, won a lot over the last couple of seasons. Well, maybe it's competition for places. And, and I think Simicast obviously gives that to Robertson in quite a direct way. Thiago is a, is a fella who's going to come in and think, like, he's probably going to think he's the first name on the team sheet in midfield. And I think, you know, in a couple of months' time, maybe he'll have every right to think so once he's, once he's settled in, if hopefully he does so quickly. But Jota as well, you know, he's a proven Premier League quality player. And whilst I've said he is one for the future, that is true. But right now it puts fairly direct pressure on that on that front three. And, you know, you can't really see much room for improvement in them. But maybe it's as simple as giving them a breather every now and then, because that's one thing that they certainly haven't had in recent seasons. They've looked pretty indestructible. I think Liverpool have maybe been a touch lucky with injuries in, in the front three, but availability has been one of their big qualities. Um, but yeah, now we can give them a bit of a rest and, and bring in a player who's hopefully got even more in his, in his locker and got a higher ceiling and can improve at Liverpool. Yeah, very exciting to see how that front three does line up, whether Diogo Jota is in it or not. One last area, Gorsty, that Liverpool fans want to see strengthened still is that central defensive area. We said before that it might do a case of might be a case of fix and make do with Fabinho for this season and maybe then go in for Ben White next summer. Another player who next summer might be available that sort of sprung into my mind who has a release clause that activates next summer is a certain Frenchman who plays at centre half for RB Leipzig. I know a Liverpool a a lot of Liverpool fans would love to see someone like Deo Upamecano alongside Virgil van Dijk in defence, but it, it feels as though that defensive role is probably going to have to wait to be strengthened, isn't it? You're on mute, Gorsty. Yeah, you mentioned Upamecano there. I mean, what, what, what kind of price is he going to be available at? Um, so, when was it a couple of weeks back, maybe, that there was kind of an acceptance that Liverpool were planning for the season with the options that they had at centre-back. Um, but it was stressed that it's a unique and fluid market, so things can change. Checked up to me to mean that Liverpool were still kind of monitoring things as they develop over the next couple of weeks. So maybe that is still the case, but seems to be um, a line from, from whoever you speak to now at the club that the business is done and Liverpool are, happy to kind of crack on with the, the players that you brought in. 
Uh, as I mentioned earlier on, I still think that could be a little bit of a mistake in terms of the the, the lack of centre backs who they've got. But um, that does seem to be at the moment what um, what Klopp wants. So uh, looks like it's going to be Gomez, Matipin, and Van Dijk with uh, with, with Firmino filling in as and when. So um, I think I think they're leaving themselves short, but uh, that does seem to be what what is happening at the moment. Joe, what do you make of it, the, the central defensive area, and how keen would you be to see Liverpool strengthen it this summer, or do you think they are better off waiting to see potentially what's about next summer and if they'd have maybe more money to, to spend on that area? Yeah, as I said before, I think it's difficult, isn't it? I mean, we've talked about like a Clavan-like signing. We've said that a few times, that you know you can go out and get someone for five to ten million who can, who can do a job and be a fourth choice, but... I suppose that is very, very much easier said than done, isn't it? You know, Clavan was good for the money they they paid for him, but you know how many players like that are out there? I don't know. And and then I suspect that the Klopp has looked a lot at Fabinho in training, looked at his midfield options, and just decided that he Fabinho can do a job for a season, and Liverpool have enough. So you know, again, time will tell if that's a mistake. Um, but Liverpool. And never rush into things. That's something that we've we've learned time and again, uh, the past five or six years or so is is that they don't go out. You know, we saw it probably most famously at left back with Milner and and um, you know him playing left back the entire season. Um, and how many times that summer before that season did we talk about Liverpool need a left back? They need a left back. They refused to do it. They played Milner there. It worked well enough. And then they they waited and, and then found the left back um, in Andy Robertson that was. You know, is going to be the left back for the next however many years. You know, one of the best left backs, if not the best left back on the planet. So Liverpool don't rush into things, and they they won't rush this um, just because there's a perceived um, potential weakness there. And and I, and I think you know chances are they'll get through it because they've been proven right in the past. So personally, I, I think I think they'll be okay. Time will tell, of course, and that might look silly if you know everyone gets injured. And, they are really struggling at the back, but you know I think we've got to trust in the powers of the be at Liverpool to get these things right. So I think they'll be okay, and I think if Klopp thinks Fabinho can play there, then we should trust him and and watch. And Fabinho will probably be brilliant, <laughs> yeah, because he's done it before and he'll do it again. I suppose also, Sean, it's a, a full season of trust being put in the likes of Joel Matip and Joe Gomez to maybe get fit and stay fit because then Liverpool wouldn't need potentially another world-class option there at centre-half. But just had a look and reports going round that Upamecano's release clause next summer would be as little as £37 million. So that, that would be a mouth-watering proposition, wouldn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we've we've written before, we know that Liverpool plan a couple of windows ahead, so perhaps centre-back will be something they look at next season. Um, I think as well, it, it's an important point to say that quite often fans and even some of those guys, are, you can look at the club and the, the, I think over the last few years on the clock, there's been times where you thought they're taking a transfer gamble here, you know, thinking they can get through to January or maybe next summer without whatever position. Well, I think previously it has been centre-back as well before. And usually it does turn out that Klopp and, and his staff are holding all the aces and and, and they, they get it right. So I do think there has to be trust in that respect. But I, I, the thing that clouds this situation with me is is the injury worries and not necessarily about the players and whether they're injury prone or not, but it, there's just so many games, it's going to be so thick and fast. 
that I think little little muscle niggles and tweaks, it's almost inevitable that stuff like that's going to happen. So is is even far enough? And, and I think, you know, with, with Kiana Hoover going, Zep Vandenberg perhaps not quite being ready. Uh, Klopp's talked, he actually mentioned Billy Cometio before the game at the weekend when he was talking about his, his centre-back option. So wonder if that little kind of slip perhaps is, is, is maybe indicative of him potentially playing a bit more of a role. But it, it could it, maybe it could even be a, sh- a bit of a shame if they don't get another centre-back because just been thinking like today about the team we could maybe see on Thursday night in, in the Carabao against Lincoln. And pretty much the midfield and the attack. There's, there's some great players there. I think it's a team that left to its own devices without without the, the first team in it could, could even win that competition. But then you're already thinking, well, who's playing at the back? I, like I genuinely at this point couldn't tell you which which two centre halves are going to play in that game. It'll be really interesting to see. But yeah, I think I quite like the idea of of a, an older head coming in and maybe playing in those games, seeing a younger team through in competitions, being on the bench in the Premier League and being there if needed. Appreciate what the guys are saying. It is it is much easier said than done to say, just go out and sign an experienced centre half. It's it's not that easy. But um yeah, I think I think a small investment with a bit of smart recruitment could pay big dividends if they can get it done. And before we go, it'd be remiss not to ask Joe Rimmer about the League Cup. Lincoln City to come on Thursday. The road to Wembley starts here, Joe. Well, that's in Yeah, it's got many aims the League Cup, but it's quite widely known as the greatest cup competition on planet Earth, isn't it? So, you know, it's there and, and hopefully Liverpool win it for um, a record. What, eighth time, ninth time? God, I'm forgetting. But yeah, um, yeah, I, I love this competition. It's great. You know, like, they're going to play Lincoln. They're going to play a random team. I love it. What's, what's not to be excited about? You know, and no one is going to throw annoying FA Cup cliches at us. We can just enjoy the game without all that nonsense. So, cannot wait. Um, but I, who is going to play in that I, game? I, I agree with you, to be honest, Joe. I think they're all like games. They're all, we all see players who we don't really see very often. And there's always at least one or two absolutely mental scorelines. So, um, I'm a big fan of the League Cup myself. Yeah, hopefully. Five, Arsenal five, yeah, exactly, yeah. hopefully there's no giant killing at Sintelbank for, for one of those FA Cup cliches for you, Joe. But anyway, it would probably be well out if we did try and guess a team lineup for the game at Sintelbank on Thursday, as well as we would a match prediction with maybe not knowing who would line up. So that's it for us for this edition of the Blood Red podcast. Do stick across the Liverpool Echo. Also, you can find the link to the twice daily newsletter in the description of this podcast. Do leave your email address address and you'll get the uh, top Liverpool stories directly to your inbox as well as plenty of content coming up across the Blood Red channel whether that's audio on demand or our dedicated YouTube channel do stick across all of that but from myself Guy Clark Joe Rimmer Paul Gorst and Sean Bradbury thanks for your time and your company it's bye for now you've been listening to the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo